Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. To the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome in, everybody, to the Flagship Podcast. It is Super Bowl week. Super Bowl week. Full disclosure, we are recording on what used to be known as the National Signing Day. Now it's just the secondary signing day compared to the December signing period when Texas loaded up on 30 newcomers. 30 newcomers who are going to take the baton and try to build on what the Longhorns did in 2023, a magical run, 12 and two season uh, to their first ever college football playoff berth. Um, Eric, we've got, uh, we got to talk to Steve Sarkeesian today. And I think the, the thing that excited most of Longhorn nation was, Sarkeesian saying he's obsessed. He's obsessed with uh, having the same kind of success he had in 2023 and expanding on it, winning a national championship. And if he wins one, he's going to want two. And uh, and that's going to lead us into some conversation today about expectations for the Longhorns. But um, give me your thoughts on Steve Sarkeesian today. Our first real availability with him since since the sugar bowl right that is correct chip first off what is going on my man uh it is uh it's kind of odd you know I, I won't i won't wax poetically too long uh but yeah man it is odd the national signing day what used to be such a for the majority of our lifetimes right i mean you know uh, just first a, wednesday in february a huge day and this is the first one that I've been, you know, here on 40 acres. And it's just like, oh, well, it's just another day. Even Sark mentioned it. He's just like, yeah, it's it's, it's pretty odd. You know, it's, it, this is what it is. But I'll have some, some updates for you. It felt just like another – it felt like a bi-week press conference, Chip, almost. So that that certainly was unique. But, yeah, to, to your point, um, Steve Sarkeesian did mention, as he said, he is obsessed with wanting to bring success to the 40 acres of the Texas program. And he, he's mentioned this line many times that, you know, when he got another head coaching job, he didn't want to just be a head coach to be a head coach, right? Want to be a head coach to be great. I'm sure part of that stems from his time being under Nick Saban, but that certainly is an encouraging sign. But also, I mean, Chip, this is also in my mind, not necessarily anything new. This is a guy who Steve Sarkeesian, you know, hasn't been shy about saying that don't really have any hobbies outside of football, you know. He's, he's not, he's not, he's not looking to do anything else <laughs> in his off time. You know, he's a guy who, you know, probably spends his bye week. You know, all right, checking out a couple football games, right? He, he likes to go out to the high school games, or when he's on vacation, you know, go visit his NFL friends, right, and see what they're doing. So, not too much of a surprise that this guy is is obsessed, probably healthily, you know, for him, uh, with with the the process and the task. And Chip, I thought. This line stood out to me. You know, again, there's plenty of things we'll get into. So I'll throw a couple of things that stood out to me. One, um, him talking about the fact that his team has really been receptive to the process, right? And understand the process starts now. It doesn't start in August. It doesn't even start, you know, Big 12 media days or summer. It starts in February. And that's the type of attitude chip that it's going to take. So I mean, how often have we talked about culture, Right. That, to me, is an encouraging sign if you're a Texas fan that the culture is permeating throughout this program and the guys who are back are, are eager to pick the pick up the baton where some of the guys who are no longer at the program have left off. So that um, one other thing, Chip, that I'd love to get your thoughts on that definitely stood out to me, Steve Sarkeesian mentioned, uh, the fact that he said they're 
pretty much the entirety of his coaching staff had people trying to get after him this year or, or this this offseason, right? And that to me is super interesting, you know, to to bring back uh, a chip. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I've seen this on Twitter, but I haven't done the research yet. I, this is um, Pete Kutowski being in his fourth year. This is the longest stint in what over 20 years uh, uh, as far as a defensive coordinator. Going back, I, I wish I had the name. Uh, if you can remember off the top of your head, it was DCing Texas 99 to 03. That's what I saw on Twitter as the name of the last defensive coordinator who was here for, for that long. So to have that kind of continuity among your coaching staff. Yeah, Carl Reese. Carl there Reese. Go. There you go. There you go. Yep. So to have that kind of continuity amongst your coaching staff, considering the fact that, you know, again, they, they had options and Sark said, hey, I embrace it. It's a good problem to have. That's a byproduct of winning. So those two things stood out to me. And uh, yeah, again, it just was more like a bi-week press conference, but certainly some some good nuggets that came out of today's session. Yes, sir. Well, the thing that, you know, Texas fans, they got into, well, the whole program got into a vicious cycle. You never want to be the program that is constantly calling for coaches to be fired because then you're Auburn and Auburn has had a historical reputation for being a really tough place to be a coach because the expectations are, are unwieldy and you don't know who's really calling the shots. And for a while, Texas was in that same situation after Mac Brown left in 20, after the 2013 season, it was a lack of alignment and leadership in the university. You had Steve Patterson, who was a complete, Failure as an athletic director, fired 22 months into a seven-year contract. You had an interim athletic director, Mike Perrin, who was 70, and God bless him, a great attorney in Houston, but ended up hiring Tom Herman as the football coach. And then he, you know, gives way to Chris Del Conte. And that's when the alignment started to happen with new president Jay Hartzell and Regents chairman Kevin Eltype. You got to have that alignment. Um, it's it's part of the reason I think AM is going through a bunch of turbulence right now because you got to have that. You got to have alignment from the top of the university down and everybody can feel it. It's like we talk about here on the flagship podcast when when the parents are unhappy, the kids feel it. And when the program doesn't have alignment, the players feel it. When there is alignment and culture is being built and it's being embraced by everyone from the president to the athletic director to the coach, the players feel it and feel like, okay, I'm investing in something really worthwhile here. And then they see the results in a year like 2023. And then the players are really, hopefully, if you're Steve Sarkeesian, carrying that mantle about the culture. This is how we do it. This is how things are done. Uh, and then when you're bringing in guys from Alabama and other, uh, well, Alabama, uh, <laughs> they also have an idea of how things are done. They can add to it. That's great. And Texas has had a steady pipeline of Alabama players uh, since Steve Sarkeesian came from Alabama to become the head coach in, in 2021. And the latest, Isaiah Bond, the speed uh, receiver, Amari Nyblak, the, you know, stretch the field tight end. And um, Kendrick Blackshire, the linebacker who Steve Sarkeesian mentioned today as a really key pickup with the, um, you know, with Jalen Ford moving on to the NFL. So, um, I think that that continuity is huge. There's no doubt about it. When you have continuity, obviously Steve Sarkeesian is going to be calling the offensive plays. You've got Pete Kwiatkowski, you know, entering his fourth season. And Jeff Banks, who is so valuable as a special teams coordinator, tight ends coach, recruiter. When you have that kind of continuity, that's that's big time. And it, it was interesting, too, that, um, Steve Sarkeesian mentioned today about the promotion of Brandon Harris to GM of the football operations, basically the personnel department, uh, replacing Billy Glasscock. And um, this was, this was, um, and Billy Glass, Glasscock left to go to Ole Miss and work for Lane Kiffin. And I'm told that this was a move 
that Steve Sarkeesian helped facilitate in part because he wanted Brandon Harris to ascend and was happy to help Billy Glasscock move on to help uh, Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. So this, uh, again, you're Brandon Harris ascends. He's been a part of the program, a vital part of the program. And everyone under Brandon Harris has been in the program. Steve Sarkeesian's not going out and having to bring in new, you know, player personnel people. He's elevating from within more continuity, more familiarity. Brandon Harris knows what Steve Sarkeesian's looking for. Steve Steve Sarkeesian likes what Brandon Harris helped find in the, you know, from a player development, recruiting, evaluation standpoint. So um, it's, Steve Sarkeesian hasn't made very many sideways steps in his off seasons since arriving uh, in 2021. And, um, you know, you wrote about the uh, defensive tackle uh, position that Steve Sarkeesian mentioned, because one of the newcomer, uh, you know, newcomers signed in this 30 member of 2024 class is Tia Savea of, a veteran a defensive tackle who spent the last two seasons at Arizona in a defense coordinated by Johnny Nansen, who's now the new uh, co-defensive coordinator and linebackers coach, Eric. Yeah, Chip, definitely want to come back to, to the defensive um, tackle spot. I and mean, you talk about some of the newcomers you talked about. Henry Blackshire, Amari Nye Black, and others, you know, obviously T.S. Avea, a big part of it. Chip, I want to ask you one thing. This is a genuine inquiry on my part. You've obviously, you know, been around this program a long time. Um, you talked about very few missteps, if any, since Steve Sarkeesian has arrived at Texas. What I find really interesting, and I think maybe it's just a byproduct of my time at the group of five, uh, covering group of five schools and seeing, you know, the fact that, listen, Let's call it what it is. You know, a lot of G5 players, the ones who excel, end up getting, you know, plucked by P5 programs. And I've seen it from the group of five perspective in, in the sense of, you know, I had, you know, Tyson Helton, of course, is Kenny Baker's former boss. He was one of the first group of five coaches who said to me, listen, there are people at this level who, you know, old timers, he wouldn't mention any names, who are going to hate it. And then you have some guys like me who are going to say, I kind of like the idea of turning over my roster every year. You got to look at it like an NFL um, type of offseason. What I'm getting at here, Chip, is has Texas always, in, in your experience, kind of been ahead of the curb or at least on par in terms of, um, listen, you know, the Lone Star State's an excellent place to recruit, right? And, and you know, your Jeff Howe and others will talk about maybe some of the ebbs and flows of recruiting under Mac Brown and others. But I'm just genuinely curious because this seems, especially in this era, Chip, the NIL era, the transfer portal era. It's not just, hey, we got one or two guys. It's what you just mentioned. It's, you know, Taylor Searles and Kendall Perry and Brandon Harris and an and entire staff, right? So I guess I'm just, it's a genuine inquiry on my part. As in, in your time covering the program, has Texas always kind of been uh, ahead of the curve in that part or, or in, in that regard? Or does this feel kind of new? No, this is, this is new. And um, in large part because the transfer portal arrived in 2018. And Steve Sarkeesian has been a big time player uh, and winner, in my opinion, in the in the portal sweepstakes from year to year. When you look at, you know, Quinn yours came in the portal um, and now you're adding all the players we just mentioned. Adonai Mitchell last year. I don't know if, if a single player made a bigger difference. I'm sure, you know, Florida State would say Keon Coleman coming in from Michigan state, but it's, it's um, it, you have to be aligned again, because you're working with your NIL collective. You're trying to make sure the money's right. When you're trying to bring in players from other schools, um, you've got to, you know, get NIL money for your returning guys who've had a big year. Um, it's, it's gotta be a well-oiled, machine and that's what's to me been so impressive for texas because um they just you know obviously there were some cracks in the defensive line situation with bo davis the timing of his departure you know looked like texas was in good position with jamari caldwell 
from Houston who um, was attracted to playing for Bo Davis and then Bo Davis leaves for LSU and Shamari Caldwell signs with Oregon. That would have been a nice pickup, but they get Tia Savea. And as we've talked about here on the flagship podcast, Johnny Nansen is the poly whisperer, um, you know, a top recruiter in the Polynesian community. We know the Polynesian community turns out, you know, five-star talent. And even if they're not five-star, they, you know, they're just, uh, it's a healthy, vibrant recruiting base uh, to be tapped into because you look in the draft every year, you're seeing Polynesian players in the first round at every position. So, um, you know, that was a, that was a good pickup. Uh, I think, I mean, I, you know, you wrote about it today, Tia Savea, yeah. his PFF run defense grades better than uh, Albert Collins and, and Vernon Broughton, the two returning defensive tackles for Texas. Now, you got to have the run. You got to have the run stuffer because Albert Collins is a good pass rusher. So if he's going to kind of play the role of Byron Murphy, Tia Savea, and Vernon Broughton play the role of Tavondre Sweat, and I'm not here to say that those guys are going to be easy to to replace because Byron Murphy is reminding people a lot of Aaron Donald, and you're seeing him rise up these mock draft boards. I don't think I don't think he falls below 15, Eric, and he could go higher um, because as he works out, as he goes to the combine and they see this chiseled 6'1", 308-pound frame, which is virtually a carbon copy of Aaron Donald's measurables, and they see his explosiveness, his hands, the way he you know coordinates his hands and his feet, I think Byron Murphy is a 10-year player in the NFL draft. And you know, Tavondre Sweat not weighing in at the Senior Bowl. Uh, you know, we talked about his weight at the Sugar Bowl, and he said, "Yeah, you know, I got to drop a few pounds." Um, he's got till February 29th until he gets to the Combine because the NFL is concerned about it. You know, he's listed 362. Is he heavier than that? Is that why he didn't want to weigh in at the Senior Bowl? Look, if he works out well, and he did at the Senior Bowl, he he held his point of attack, and I think he came away impressing everyone with his ability to hold the point of attack and no one ran at him in the senior bowl. So, um, but those two guys replacing those two guys, not going to be easy. It's really huge. You and I've talked about the decision of Alfred Collins to come back because he and Vernon Broughton know that what the standard is. They know what Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy, the kind of work that they put in and, and they know, they should know what it's going to take for them to have a similar step up going into this 2024 season. Yeah, Chip. And like I said, apologies for throwing that, that curveball at you. Just wanted to get your thoughts on that. And in, in terms of, you know, what I wrote about today with the defensive line room and specificity defensive tackle, I think you touched on a lot of the things there. So I'll kind of just, you know, kind of round it off and maybe it's a good segue as we get into winter conditioning and why it's going to be so important here is in my mind, and we've talked about it here on the podcast, I won't go too long. It's going to be a tall ask to expect Alfred Collins and Vernon Broughton to be Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy. It's not that they will not have their own level of development and growth as they are assumed to, you know, be the starters next year. But it's one thing to be a starter. It's another thing to be the top two defensive tackles in the nation, right? So why is a Tia Savea so important? Why is in the winter getting an Alex January here on campus now. So important. Melvin Hills will be here over the summer. Let's try to build as much depth as possible. And this is a big time, a very important time for guys like Zach Swanson and Aaron Bryant, Sidira Mitchell, Dre Bledsoe, right? Because it's it's going to take more than Alfred Collins, Vernon Broughton to just step in and have that level of, of defensive line, defensive tackle success you had last year. You got to have that depth that at least fills the gaps, right? So maybe you don't have two first round picks in the 2025 NFL draft, but maybe you have an Alfred Collins who rises and a Vernon Broughton who's solid. And then you have three or four guys, because remember, Texas did play, excuse me, uh, over uh, five defensive tackles played over 250 snaps last year. So you're going to know you need at least five, right? You feel comfortable that you have three 
who are those other two and can they can they be better than trill carter was last year trill it's almost hard to to measure trill's impact because again a a lot of the time he saw was you know in non-leverage situations um and kind of situationally right but can you get someone who can be a little more impactful than trill can you have some guys who can be more impactful than some of those guys who were the end of the rotation defensive tackle um uh, players so that is key and that starts from now in, in winter conditioning and Sark, when I asked him about it, said, you know, he felt it'd be a little unfair to assess where those guys are at in their development this early in the game, which, of course, is a fair answer. But with that being said, he feels confident that this group is going to be another strength of the team uh, in 2024. Yeah, and and Kenny Baker coming in as the new defensive. And let's be honest, Pete Kwiatkowski coaches the defensive ends. Um, And... Bo Davis, even though he, you know he was called the defensive line coach, he coached the interior defensive linemen. Uh, Kenny Baker will coach the interior defensive linemen, and um, we've talked about it. Those are the those are the Willy Wonka Golden Ticket guys. I mean, you have to have them if you want to compete for a championship, and that's why Kenny Baker's hire was so important. And um, and Steve Sarkeesian you know, looked high and low and talked to Mike McDaniel, the Miami Dolphins, and got a, a good report on, on Kenny Baker. Um, but we're going to be watching Kenny Baker as much as we're going to be watching the, you know, the development of the players because um, it's that's a huge, huge position. I mean, it's almost as important as the defensive coordinator because you have to have uh, those guys in the middle who can – who can stop the run, who can set the tone for your defense and uh, and go recruit those guys because Texas lost DeAndre Robinson uh, from this signing class uh, because of the Bo Davis defection to LSU. So, look, they're in a position right now where they've got good returning uh, talent and they've got to keep building with the players you just mentioned, uh, the Jure Bledsoe, Sadir Mitchell, Zach Swanson, Aaron Bryant. And those guys have gotten some reps. Now they're going to step up and get more reps if they earn them. And and Baron Sorrell, even though he's you know an edge player and Ethan Burke, um, those guys are huge too in the ability to stop the run and, and all the success that that uh, run defense top three in the nation last year had. Uh, so, and Texas was one of the top, you know, teams in quarterback pressures again for the second season in a row. So that's, that's the standard. Um, and you got guys who know it, who are part of it. And now we'll see if they can carry it on under the leadership of Kenny Baker, but you mentioned it winter conditioning, um, is underway. We now know that spring football will start on March 19th. And so Sarkeesian's going to give his players spring break. Um, usually he has part of spring football before spring break and then finishes it after. He's going to do it all after spring break. So they will practice, he said, for five weeks, uh, three days a week. And the spring game will be on April 20th. So it'll be a compressed um you know, spring football uh, for Texas, but winter conditioning uh, rolls on. And and I kind of hinted in the insider last week, you know, early in winter conditioning, it's it's kind of about the speed guys who, who kind of, you know, because the big guys don't flash as much. There's not pads. They can flash in the weight room, um, but we'll get to those numbers a little later in winter conditioning. Um, but the speed guys are flashing and, uh, so, you know, really positive reports about uh, the speed of Isaiah Bond, um, Aaron Butler. Um, sources telling me that Aaron Butler's speed is real. Um, he's a 10 flat 100 guy. Isaiah Bond appears to be a 10 flat 100 guy. Um, you know, when you're replacing a guy like Xavier Worthy, you got to have that speed. Uh, Silas Bolden is not on campus yet. He'll get here in the summer. Uh, but uh, Ryan Wingo um, was told he's what they thought he was crazy long, crazy athletic, crazy fast. And the defensive back who was getting the most praise, Eric 
was Xavier Filsimi. Um, early enrollee freshman who is fighting for a, a safety spot with Andrew Makuba and Derek Williams. Um, that's encouraging because there's been a lot of uh a lot of uh change changeover uh at that safety position. Chip, two things I'll hit on. I, I was gonna start with the receivers, but now I'll work in reverse. You say fighting for a safety spot and no disagreement there. But listen, if Steve Sarkeesian and company are going to play four and five safeties like they did last year, well, let's have three, four, five safeties who are like really, really good, right? So um, you cannot be discouraged at all if you're getting the report that, you know, Andrew, uh, excuse me, um, Xavier Filosami is, is, is hitting the ground running because as you mentioned, you got Andrew Makuba coming in from Clemson, going to come back to him in a second. Of course, you got Derek Williams Jr., who was really arguably the, the most well-rounded safety of the group of the team last year. In terms of Makuba, something I thought was interesting, Chip, was Sark said to us that you don't get a guy like him who's been you know, more or less a three-year starter at Clemson who makes a decision to leave that program, come back home to Austin. Of course, that plays a huge factor, unless his mindset, his frame of mind is – I'm coming here ready to make an impact and then it's on to the next thing. Right. And that just reminds me a lot of an AD Mitchell in my mind, in terms of the frame of mind of, Hey, I'm coming here. I'm ready to make my impact. And you know, I'm on to, you know, the next level. Right. So that in my mind has to be an encouraging sign for Texas fans. So uh, just starting there. Yeah. If, if you're going to play multiple safeties and, and again, we'll see, you know, Chip, that, that's something that will be really interesting. That's going to be something I'm going to keep my eye on. Uh, throughout the off season, you know, was, was that safety rotation a byproduct, a byproduct, excuse me, of not feeling like you had one or two standouts or was that just, all right, we really want to get multiple guys on the field. We shall see, but yeah, it felt like go, 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 go for it, Chip. Well, it felt like they, they had safeties who were good at one thing and not another. They didn't have the complete guy. I think Derek Williams was more of the complete guy and, Look, Michael Taff. I mean, Michael Taff ended up basically kind of chasing off Jalen Catalan because Taff developed, um, at least in the mind of safeties coach Blake Gideon. And I think, you know, there's more for him to develop. Uh, but that was that was a position that was seen as a um, weakness. And you're right. Eric, we don't know like what was holding that position back um, because it there were games where one player would be excellent and the next not so much. And teams went after the safeties of the Texas Longhorns, and that needs to change. And, um, you know, it seems like it's been a long time since the likes of Earl Thomas and Michael Griffin uh, guys who went on to multi, multi Pro Bowls in the NFL were playing safety for Texas. So this is um, that that's one of the positions, along with defensive tackle, along with just the sheer competition at receiver and corner. Um, although my man Malik Muhammad, I'm on that train as he is a star and he will be the walk in. And he's only walking in because he earned it boundary corner for Texas next year. But that's what you want. You want competition. You want guys absolutely having to fight to uh, to earn the starting job and then keep the starting job. And uh, and it sounds like that um, at least early in winter conditioning, you're getting some favorable reports about the the receivers, the defensive backs, and um, and so. Um, as far as where they're going to be practicing, we did have a little nugget in the insider last week that um, the indoor practice facility, the new indoor practice facility that will be just south of DKR, actually just south of the student rec center where the School of Social Work has been forever, uh, they will be tearing that School of Social Work down um, and cleaning up that site, getting it ready for construction to start in the summer with a completion date of 
uh, April of 2025. So uh, from summer on, you'll see that new uh, indoor practice facility and uh, it'll have a full outdoor football field, a full indoor football field. And underneath it all, this is one of the coolest perks, I think, for these student athletes. There will be a parking garage for all 500 of UT's student athletes so that they don't have to be part of the hunting license for a parking spot on campus. Uh, Ajayi Hall, God bless him, wherever he is, who lost Pride his Pride of Valrico, Florida. That's what, 813, baby, continue. Oh, man. <laughs> Poor guy got his car booted, and he's all pissed off. Um, there will be no more boots if you – as long as you have your parking garage key card uh, when that new practice facility comes online. And also I was told that uh, grass, natural grass will be back in DKR for the 2026 season. So uh, for those of you who are, you know, naturalists about your grass fields over the field turf and the rubber pellets, there you go. Listen, Chip, uh, you know, all jokes aside, the, the parking thing is certainly <clears throat> certainly a, a nice um, addition because, I mean, it's call a spade a spade. UT is a big campus and not a lot of parking. Uh, no. I can certainly attest as someone who just was given a parking ticket today, despite having a valid parking pass. I will take that gripe up with UT parking services offline. Um, no, I mean, listen, when, when you're when you're dealing with 18 to 20 three 24 year olds you want to make things as easy for them as possible direct them as possible so that is certainly a nice addition and and just overall i mean um you know you've obviously been around here much longer than i have but the the condition of the current practice facility current practice fields not that it, it, it's you know poor or anything like that but chip you know the game this is power five football you got to keep up with the whoever you want to insert right so uh that is certainly a much needed addition that's right that's right um, all right, so football cruising along um with the uh uh winter conditioning, and again, spring football will begin March 19th, and the spring game April 20th. Um, Eric, the Texas men's basketball team finishes a, a school record uh six straight games against ranked opponents. Um with a three and three record, um, it it's weird. They have won three games on the road in the Big Twelve, and yet they're one and four at home in Big Twelve play, including Tuesday night's loss to Iowa State. Um, Texas lost that game seventy to sixty five, and it wasn't close um, at all until <laughs> until the final. Uh, eight minutes or so of this game when Dylan DeZue went Superman and scored 17 points and was just phenomenal and helped Texas cut the lead to three. But uh, uh, unfortunate turnover from Tyrese Hunter with two minutes and six seconds left turns into a three-pointer uh, by Iowa State's uh, Tamin Lipsy and that kind of stretched that lead back out to where Texas never could get. Now, listen, that comeback was fantastic because you and I were sitting there watching this thing and Iowa state was putting on a defensive clinic um, with their length and their defense against uh, Max Aismas and Tyrese Hunter, who were both over in the first half and Tyrese Hunter finished the game over Eric. Oh, of eight, zero points. Um, against his former team. And I kind of want to ask you, Kendall Weaver, who yeah. was flying around, had five offensive rebounds in the second half, uh, gets taken out of the game with three minutes and 37 seconds left and doesn't come back in until there's, I think, 15 seconds left. Are we at a point now with how Tyrese Hunter is struggling especially late in games. He had the bad late turnover against Houston where you got to go with Max Aismas, Kendall Weaver, and Dylan Mitchell and Dylan DeZue, Brock Cunningham, or whoever, you know, Caden Shedrick, whoever's 
more productive? I don't know because Tyrese Hunter is such a good player, but I don't know what's going on with him. Uh, first, I'm going to give you a direct answer. I think the answer to that is no, only because I just don't think that Kendall Weaver's offensive game, it, 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 it Chip, it's situational, right? If you're looking to close out a game, sure. But when you're down a couple points, you need consistent offense. Here's why it's tough, because whenever Kendall Weaver's on the floor, inevitably he makes good things happen. He had back-to-back, he had about the five offensive rebounds, back-to-back offensive rebounds in one stretch. I've, I shouldn't say never, but this kid attacks the rim with reckless abandon. I know I made the joke to you that, you know, like, or maybe it was Joe Cook, I don't remember, but he, 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 he thinks he's Vince Carter when he just, you know, attacks the rim and his elevator is going to go up, then it just stops, <laughs> you know? He, he doesn't quite, um, you know, get over guys when he attacks the rim. But I, the reason I say no is, again, I just I don't think his, 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 his offensive game is consistent enough. But Chip, this is the big picture for me as someone who's covered this team the entire year. Chip. Rodney Terry, and I'm not necessarily putting it on him, 100% on him, but I just think it's the byproduct of where they are in the year. This roster is not deep enough, Chip, for them to keep abandoning ship on guys. Because guess what? IT Horton, that's a guy you brought in to be part of this rotation. Played three minutes against TCU. I think he had something like 10, 11 minutes last night. Zarek Onyema is in the Woodis Protection Program, right? So now we got two guys who in theory were going to be rotational pieces. You can't, we don't have enough room to go to another one, right? And all of a sudden, hey, we got to depend on Kendall Weaver, right? So um, I, I think the, it's a byproduct of those two answers, Chip, why I say no. With Tyrese, I don't want to, you know, downplay the fact that I'm probably going to sound like Rodney Terry here. Tim and Lipsy, Keyshawn Gilbert, you're talking about the third rated in terms of defensive rating. Uh, third-rated defensive player in the Big 12 and the seventh-rated defensive player in the Big 12. Two big-time guards. Chip, did you notice this? Because this really impressed me with Lipsy. We weren't talking about someone who was going old-school Duke, slapping the floor, picking guys up from you know three-quarter court. That dude was just backing into his defensive stance and saying, all right, come initiate against me. <laughs> and, 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 and the guards couldn't do anything. You know, obviously Max Asens was able to get his first uh, points. I want to say it was just after the 15-minute mark from the free throw line, knocked down three free throws. But there was a point in this game when Texas's guards were over 11. And like I said, those guards weren't, you know, trapping him. And, and, and they just said, hey, come on, run your offense. We got some for that. So um, I, I, I think that plays a big part in, in Tyrese Hunter's struggles, at least last night. But no, I mean, you raise an interesting point. I just don't think we're there yet because they're just not, you're running out of guys to go through in my opinion, Chip. Yeah. 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 This, this Texas team is flawed, but I love the effort and my gosh, the, the closing performances we've seen from Max A. Smith, um, who breaks a tie against TCU on the road by scoring all 13 points in a 13, two run to close the game. And then last night, Dylan DeZue, 17 points in the final eight minutes to help Texas cut it to three. And, um, you know, Rodney Terry after the game was like, you know, reminded that he's lost. He's won three on the road and lost four at home. And he, you know, sort of pleaded with Texas fans, Hey, keep coming. We're, we're going to get this thing figured out hopefully uh, because they're playing West Virginia Saturday, uh, two o'clock, I think. Um, and West Virginia is a team who's on the bottom end of the conference, but is a team that beat Texas, um, earlier this year in Morgantown. So, um, you know, Texas has got to figure this thing out. Obviously they're going to look back and say, woulda, coulda, shoulda against central Florida a team. They were leading, you know, by 15 in the second half and lost and the Houston game, they played brilliantly in the second half. We're up four with two minutes left and couldn't couldn't close it out. Um, and then, you know, last night, that would have been a steal of a victory. Texas had no business winning that game because they were outplayed for, what, 32 minutes, and and then they they got it going. And, cre- again, credit to, to Dylan DeZue, even Max Asmus, who was, you know, 
he got to the foul line. He hit seven of seven free throws, even though he was three of 11. Um, he ends up with, uh, with 13 points. And we mentioned that he was, he was over in the first half. So um, Iowa state, you're right. Their defense, they are so long and they are so um, they're, I mean, it's all five of their players are bought into that defense. They're all long. They're a problem. Uh, whoever gets them in the NCAA tournament, good luck. But, Chip, really quick, just I know we're not a take it or leave it just yet, but I just want to run a, a quick take it or leave it S question by you. If this team doesn't make the NCAA tournament, they will look back at the West Virginia loss early and more specifically the UCF loss and say that's the reason why. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yes. And I'll, you know, bang my Kendall Weaver drum that sure. he you, was. You've earned it. You've earned it. You know, he wasn't. He he helped set the tone for them defensively and and now look that was a really good game tough game that's not a terrible loss against Iowa State who's gonna you know they're the number 14 team in the country for a reason but they cannot afford to lose any of their remaining home games because they're all games that Texas is expected to win and uh, you know they may they may be able to survive uh, and get into the NCAA tournament just winning uh, their remaining games against um, West Virginia and um, Kansas State and Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Um, but you're right. There's no guarantee. I mean, we I talked to Jerry Palm last week and he had him as last four in and then he took him out of the tournament. And then after they beat TCU, he put him in as an eight seed. And here's the thing to watch, Eric, if Texas stays on that eight line and Ole Miss keeps coming, oh boy, don't be surprised to oh see boy. a Texas Ole Miss eight, nine line in the NCAA tournament. Cause we know the committee loves to create storylines and blah, blah, blah. I know. I know. Yeah, You said it. I know. Said we'll move it. on. We'll move on. We'll move on. The Texas uh, women had a great week. They went to Baylor and won, and then they came home and handled business against uh, then number two ranked Kansas State. Uh, Kansas State without uh, their six foot six All-American, Ioka Lee, but Texas without their all big 12 um you know, point guard Rory Harmon. So they will probably meet again in the Big 12 tournament if if things go the way that it it appears. But listen, that was a that was a really good defensive game for Texas. Um it was, you know, kind of a I mean those are two good defensive teams. K-State has a bunch of six foot guards who make life difficult. That that's one of the First times we saw Madison Booker matched up against players at her position at her size, and she struggled with turnovers, and um, and they made K State struggle with turnovers. So that I thought that was a really well uh, defended game. The Texas women uh, then got this week off, which is nice. They got a uh, basically a weekend a weekend. This is you get one of these per per year, and for Texas, it comes at a good time. Madison Booker coming off the hamstring injury and Deanna Gaston coming back from the ankle injury. Um, but Eric, they'll go to TCU Saturday at four and uh, TCU is two and eight in big 12 play should be a, should be a good, good win for the Texas women. Yeah, Chip, I'll just quickly piggyback off of what you mentioned with Kansas state, as you talked about, Yoka Lee not available. Definitely looking forward to seeing that matchup again. Also kind of very similar if you flip Texas men, you know, to making the push last night to come back late. K-State, Chip, made a late push, and that's why they're the number two ranked team in the nation. It's funny. I'll share a quick uh, story with you. I rode the elevator at Moody Center. I guess for our listeners who don't know, um, there's kind of only one way in and one way out, you know, if you work or participating at Moody Center. She took an elevator from Portal 12 downstairs. And, uh, you know, I was there with uh, uh, Aaliyah Moore, who let out a big sigh 
as she got on the elevator to leave Moody Center because you knew it's like if that game were, you know, five or six more minutes, it, 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 it might have gotten a little more interesting. But no, um, give credit to the Texas women, as you mentioned. They got a nice little break off. I think it'll help with the, with some of the, the injury uh, situation they have there. And you talk about Madison Booker. She was asked post-game, you know, who was the Madison Booker in the first half and who was that Madison Booker in the second half? She's like, yeah, I don't know who that was in the first half, but in the second half, she uh, she came alive. So good win for the Texas women, and I definitely think that's a matchup that we will see again in Kansas City. Yeah, the Aaliyah Moore, she is – such a key to this whole operation because she's got the physical presence and the athletic ability uh, down low to really cause problems as a defender, as a bucket getter. Um, she had 15 points and 10 rebounds in that K-State game. And they were, they were huge because Shaylee Gonzalez has been struggling with her shot. She was one of seven in that game against K-State and they need to get her going. Uh, she's a shooter. She's come through in big uh, situations. She's had to handle the point a little bit when when Madison Booker's hamstring flared up and they had to play Cincinnati without without Booker. Um, so she she's had to do a lot uh, this this season. But I think Vic likes where his team is right now, and they're doing this again. So they're uh, number seven in the in the country. Um, all right, Eric, you ready for some take it or leave it? Absolutely, sir. Let's do it. We'll be right back. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, and if you're watching us on the Horns 24-7 YouTube channel, we will roll on with some take it or leave it. Eric, <clears throat> I am asking you for take it or leave it number one. Jaden Blue, rising junior running back for the Texas Longhorns, will have the most carries for Texas in 2024 take it or leave it coming hot chip brown right out the gate i love that one i am way too, going... way too early uh forecast we love these right no doubt about it i'm gonna leave it although i was very tempted to take it because listen cj baxter has yet to show that he can stay healthy for a full season of course only uh, his freshman year, right? So we'll see what happened. He was a guy who didn't really struggle with injuries as, as a prep player, but he he sheared carries for a lot of his prep career up until his senior year down there in Central Florida, Edgewater High School. But listen, there's one thing we know about Steve Sarkeesian. He really loves C.J. Baxter. Guy got the running back one job coming out of camp, and for all intents and purposes, you know, even when he had some struggles with the injuries and early on, it, it wasn't until – more or less, Jonathan Brooks was like, hey, you know, it was very abundantly clear that was the, the hot hand he needed to ride um, when JB became the number one back. So we know that Steve certainly likes CJ backs. There's lots to like about CJ in my mind. So I am going to leave it. Um, but listen, I, I, I'm so it wouldn't be shocking if we're revisiting this uh, come next year. What about you, CB? All right. So. To, at the Sugar Bowl Media Day, Tashard Choice told me his comp for Jaden Blue would be Jameer Gibbs. You know I'm a Lions fan. And when I heard that, because that's not Tashard Choice just riffing. He recruited Jameer Gibbs 
to Georgia Tech and coached him before Gibbs transferred to Alabama. And I, as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh my, okay. So I'm going to take this. Now, Jane Blue's got to hang out of the football. I think he had uh, 79 touches in 2023 and two fumbles. That's, you know, a fumble every 40 touches. That's not going to work. So he's got to secure the football. Uh, he and CJ Baxter both had big fumbles in the Sugar Bowl that um, that impacted that game. But his speed, his ability to, um, you know, get into space, catch the football, make plays. I think we're just scratching the surface with Jaden Blue. So I'm going to take this. Maybe I'm a prisoner of the moment with Tashard Choice comparing Jaden Blue to Jameer Gibbs and Jameer Gibbs just going to his first Pro Bowl as a rookie with the Lions. But I'm going to take that one. All right, take it or leave it, number two. Number two, Texas should be considered a top three team in the SEC heading into the 2024 campaign. Chip Brown, take it or leave it. I mean, compared to where Texas was um, two short years ago, five and seven, and everyone in Longhorn Nation wondering, oh, my God, we're going to get – slaughtered in the sec and then all of a sudden texas in the college football playoff the last college football playoff um with four only four teams yes yes texas is not only should they i mean they will be considered a top three team in the sec heading into 2024 i think because of the nick saban uh retirement Alabama, we have to wait and see how they adjust under Kalen DeBoer. LSU loses Heisman Trophy winner Jaden Daniels. Georgia, obviously, with Carson Beck coming back and all the depth of recruiting that Kirby Smart has done, Georgia's going to be number one. But it would not shock me. Uh, Ole Miss is really kind of the other program in my mind that – could get some serious top three consideration because of all the transfer portal uh, movement that, that they've had, but I'm going to take this Eric. And I know for Longhorn fans they are like, wow, we're already a top three team in the sec. You got to prove it on the field, but yeah, I think there's going to be those expectations. How about you? Here's the list of teams in my mind who should be considered over Texas, the top three in the sec. Number one, Georgia. Number two, that's it. I'm taking it. Of course they should. <laughs> I, I no disrespect to Alabama, but Nick Saban ain't walking through that door. It was just announced shortly before we started taping this. He'll be joining the college game day crew. <laughs> Can't wait to see that. Surprise, surprise. He did all Him. those appearances on the Pat McAfee show this year because he wanted to see if he could develop some chemistry with his uh, – his future game day desk mate. You took the words right out of my mouth. So that's where Nick Saban will be. He ain't walking through that door. And, and listen, I think Kalen DeBoer is a hell of a football coach, and I really like it. You know, he just added uh, William Inge, who, of course, was a defensive coordinator at Washington, just added to that staff. So um, I, I think Kalen is going to be able to do some things there, but it's, that's a wait and see. That's, that's not a, what I see here with Texas. That's not me living here in the moment in Austin. That is just a fact in my mind. So Georgia, that's it. So I'm taking it, Chip. Yeah. Yeah. Quinn Ewers coming back is huge in that, no doubt. Okay. So I am asking you, Eric, uh, Texas basketball should be happy going three and three against the six straight top 25 opponents. They just played. Um, if you need a recap, it was um, Texas took on Baylor. They won that game. They went to Oklahoma, who was then number 11. Texas won that game. They went to BYU, who was 
number 21 at that time. They got smoked in the second half of that game and lost. And then they had the overtime heartbreaker against uh, number four Houston at uh, the Moody Center and then went to TCU and won last Saturday and lost to Iowa State at home Tuesday night. They should be happy going three and three in that stretch. Eric, take it or leave it. I had to remove myself from last night, remove myself from the thoughts of the Houston game. I'm going to say yes, Chip, when they lost the UCF game. And I wrote the piece that said Texas doesn't have a horns down problem. They have a win problem. They had lost to Iowa State. Excuse me. They lost to Texas Tech. Sorry. They lost last night. I say last night. They had lost to Texas Tech, a game that they were leading in. And it's like, all right, you drop that one, then and you know they go and squeak out a win at Cincy, right? They lose at West Virginia, a bad loss, and they lose to UCF, and it's like things are this. This could get ugly, Chip, because they had six straight AP top twenty-five opponents they were going to play, and I was even of the thought that if they can just get two that they, it's all right. We've kind of ride the ship a little bit. It was hard to find the two at that point in time, but I was thinking if they can get two, the fact that they've gotten three, yes, you do have to be happy about it. You can still be disappointed at the fact that you didn't play your best basketball, best basketball against Iowa state. You didn't play your best basketball um, in, in, in other moments. You had a chance against Houston to upset the number four team in the nation. Right. But all things considered, I think, yes, they should be happy because at least now they are in position to where if this team chip truly is bonded by these last six games and we've seen them rise to the occasion in certain moments, then they should know what it takes to close out the rest of this Big 12 slate and quite frankly, pick up wins that are much needed if they're going to be a tournament team. So the answer is yes. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to take this because. As you said, this team was on the brink of who knows going where um, after the losses to West Virginia and Central Florida. It looked like this team had no identity. Um, you knew that Max Asmus and Dylan DeZu were, were two players you could count on. But after that, it was head scratching. And, and since then, and I wrote about this uh, this past week, that Kendall Weaver over the last five games, his minutes have doubled from 13. He was averaging 13.4 through 17 games. And then the last five, it's been 26.2 uh, minutes per game. And he's had a good impact. The, the defense played in the win at Oklahoma. The defense played in the win at TCU. Uh, those were, were nice wins on the road. And it's weird. And and look, the one in four record in Big Twelve play at home is that's head scratching because but that you know Rodney Terry didn't have a feel for his lineup yet, and that's what led to the loss to West Virginia in Central Florida. And those were you know West Virginia was on the road, Central Florida they should have won both of those games. They didn't. But we're talking about the the stretch of uh, six games against the ranked opponents. And I think going three and three, Texas has helped themselves because, um, as we mentioned, Jerry Palm had Texas out of the field of 68. And then after the win at TCU, he put him in as an eight seed. So this uh, I think this stretch uh, has been beneficial. To Texas, I think they have a better idea of who they are defensively. They certainly need other players to step up and help uh, Max A. Smith and Dylan DeZue because they've got a lot of tough games remaining, Eric. And as we've mentioned, the depth is not there. And so uh, there are other guys, I don't know what it's going to take for them to get some more minutes, but you worry. Maybe, maybe Max A. Smith is tireless. Maybe Dylan DeZue is tireless, but this was this this was a lot. And 
And so I think three and three, you take it. There you go. All right. There it is, kids. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Flagship Podcast. Um, make sure that you like and subscribe to the Horns 24-7 YouTube channel. If you're listening to us on podcast, feel free to give us a five-star review. Um, you know, it helps with the bosses, all that good stuff. For Eric Henry, I am Chip Brown. Until next time, we'll see you over at Horns247.com. Stay safe and keep the faith. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.